We're a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus, and we've got a lot of good things going on. Is this hummy or is this me? Something kind of ringy or? All right. It is a little bit. So we've got a lot of good things going on. God is on the move, even in these strange, wild COVID days. Uh, We had a recent youth trip, and God moved powerfully and is raising up an army of young people, even here among us. And it looks like Luke and company, the, the numbers are growing. We're glad you're here. God wants to move through the schools in Edmond and Oklahoma City and in our region. So that is something that we're praying into, we're fasting about, we're believing that God wants to do some things with students. And we get the honor of mobilizing and discipling some of those students. We launched our first church plant in the middle of COVID. We launched the Milner family, and I got to speak with them this past Wednesday and had a great conversation with them. They're doing well. They were able to connect with a family that's already there, and they're in quarantine for a couple of weeks, but they're, uh, (laughs) it's pretty funny, it's like a big sleepover with another family. So they're actually having a lot of fun. It's good. They're adjusting to jet lag and they are going to uh, be a part of something special there. We have expectations that God wants to do something not only on the island of Guam, but in Southeast Asia. And this is part of what we do. We get to partner with Jesus. He's already doing things in that part of the world. And so we get to send laborers into the harvest. Some of you may end up visiting there. Some of you may end up being called to that part of the world, and that's something we delight in. We also had a leadership weekend a few weeks back, and we watched John Wimber's story, and Philip Suarez pointed out one of my favorite parts of the video, and that's when the Lord Jesus said to Wimber, I've seen your ministry, John, and now I'm going to show you mine. And so that's really what we're doing. We're pursuing that here. As we become a vineyard, we want to see the ministry of the Lord Jesus. We want to see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is we all get quickened and we all get activated and we all get mobilized to play a part. Exciting stuff. I also want you to know that we, uh, we put a lot of time and thought into what we do together on Sunday mornings, including our time in the scriptures. We're laying foundations, really, as we do that, as we open the Bible together and we look at it. It's very intentional, very deliberate, why we do what we do. We always focus on the main and the plain, right? Recently, we've looked at revivals, and we've said, Lord, do it again. We looked at growing in Christ. We looked at spiritual practices, time in the scriptures, prayer, fasting, serving, these kinds of things. We looked at becoming a vineyard looked at the Father's love, the coming of the kingdom, and now we're looking for five weeks. Connie launched it last week. We're looking at life in the Holy Spirit. So if you want to open your Bible to Romans 8, Connie started last week and did the opening of Romans 8, which is about as rich as it gets. This chapter is incredible. All of scripture is incredible, but this is almost like five filet mignons stacked on top of each other. It is so rich. 
about what life in the Spirit is about. So Connie, thank you last week talking about verses 1 through 8. Today we're going to look at verses 9 through 17. The next Sunday, Esther is going to look at the next section. And I've already mentioned it before. We are into teams. So we're developing a preaching team right now. I'm actually recruiting some other people so that we have a variety of voices. I do the majority of the teaching and preaching, but I think it's good to have a variety. And again, if we're building a sustainable church, we build it on team, not individuals, right? So we're looking at Romans 8, 9 through 17. And what we're going to see is this whole chapter summed up in a few words. Being alive, being led, and being loved. We're going to look at these three things. If you're able, why don't you stand? I, I want to stand just as we read this. We read the word of the Apostle Paul, the inspired words that God gave him to pass on to the church for all time. Romans 8, 9 through 17. This is the word of God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You can take a seat. That's good stuff, isn't it? Wow. That is rich and mind-blowing truth. I want to look at the first section there, verses 9 through 11. And the Apostle Paul is saying here many things, but he's saying life in the Spirit means that we're made alive in the Spirit. We're going to see victory over sin and death is a part of that. So what is the, what's the difference here if you look at verse 9? What is the difference between being in the flesh and in the spirit? Paul is basically saying there's two ways of being in the world, two ways of doing life, and one of them is being led by your flesh. Now, what, what do we mean by flesh? There's some misunderstanding around this. Is the human body good? Genesis 1 and 2, God looks at all of creation, including the human body, and says what? It is good. So Paul is obviously not saying life in the body is bad. 
That's like Jews and Christians, we underscore life in the body is a good thing. But there is something called the sinful nature. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the flesh. There's some bent that we have toward life apart from God. So when he talks about flesh, that's what he's saying. It's almost like this impulse or this bent to do things on our own. And so Paul is saying, you don't want to live that way. You actually want to live according to the Spirit. Make sense? So what we're looking at here is the body is a good thing, but the body has to be in connection with God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is pretty staggering to think about, too. What Paul is talking about here is not just life in the flesh, life in the spirit, but he's talking about two ages or two realms that we live in. The kingdom of God comes in the person of Jesus, and the kingdom of God through Jesus brings the age of the spirit. Friends, time has changed. Everything has been altered with the coming of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You live in a new era called in the Spirit. Think about that for a moment. 2,000 years ago, everything was reoriented. So you and I have the opportunity to live in the age of the Spirit. Something that all the Old Testament prophets prophesied and longed to see, and we are living in it. There's a clash of kingdoms happening out there, but also in here. We're going to talk about this a little bit more, but there's a clash of kingdoms in your own body. The kingdom of God comes, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's game on. Jay and I were talking about this this morning. It's, it's time. It's battle. It's war time. Are you going to be a person who's led around by the flesh or are you going to rely on God's resource, unlimited resource of the Holy Spirit? It is powerful. This is life in the kingdom. I love this promise that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 3 to the broken Corinthians. He basically tells them that every Christian is indwelt by the Spirit of God. You individually and collectively are the temple of the Holy Spirit. One commentator says this. Listen to this as he's speaking about this little section. He says, for Paul, possession of the Holy Spirit goes hand in hand with being a Christian. However much we may need to grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, however much we may be graciously given fresh and invigorating experiences of God's Spirit, from the moment of conversion on, listen to what he says, the Holy Spirit is a settled resident within you. You have a settled resident, the Spirit of God. The third person of the Holy Trinity has taken residence in you. If you are a Christian, you have the fullness of life in God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have the fullness of us? We have all of God. It's all there. The Spirit of God in you as a settled resident for all time. How much of yourself does he have? So I want to ask this morning, 
If the settled resident is within you, are there any rooms that you need to open up today? Are there any secret closets, any places that you need to open up to let the indwelling Holy Spirit search and bring the Father's love and light? As Brad was talking about this morning, the Father is so gracious and so merciful. He's not mean, but he sends an all-consuming spirit to dwell inside of us. Some people say, well, the Spirit of God is a gentleman. Well, but the Spirit of God is also a consuming fire. So, friends, as we look at this, I encourage you, let the consuming fire of the Holy Spirit, the settled resident, have all of you, body, soul, and spirit. Some of you might say, well, I'm disheartened. I haven't had that. Well, today is the day. You can, everything can change, as Brad said. The presence of God is here as a consuming fire. Will you give yourself to the Lord, body, soul, and spirit? I've been sharing with you over the summer. I took two months to do some house cleaning in my inner life. I went through inner healing for eight weeks. Met with someone at Bridgeway Church, signed on and said, I am going for it. Why? Because I want to get the clutter out. The things that are stopped up inside me, the areas that need healing, transformation. I'm saying, Lord, I want to open the doors. Help me open the doors. Where I haven't let you fully possess me, would you do it now? And friends, things are set in motion. And the Lord's changing me at 50 years old. I, I want to change. Do you? Do you want to change? The question is not who needs inner healing. It's when are you going to do it? So thankfully, we have a growing inner healing ministry here. Jennifer Milner and the team, Kathleen Blue and others, laid the, the groundwork for that with Sozo. And now we have an inner healing and deliverance ministry. And so I'm going to name these people. My wife, Amanda. Kathleen Blue, John Mode, Carolyn McHenry, and then Esther serves as kind of the staff point person over that. If you need inner healing, reach out to one of them. Set something up. They'll walk you through. They're skilled. They're thoughtful. Something rooted in the scriptures. The Lord wants all of us. A second thing in this passage that I want us to look at. Paul is basically saying several things. He's making some if-then statements. Look at it. He says in verse 10, man, and I mean, he is just hammering away at this. The Spirit of God is in you, but then what does he say at verse 10? Christ is in you. He's saying if Christ is in you, Though one day your body will die because it's the result of sin, the Spirit of God will bring life to you. And then look at this. This is just one of those things at verse 11. One of those, how can this be real statements? Verse 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your more bodies. 
The spirit of the resurrected Jesus is in you. If you are a Christian, the very resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is operating in you. Ponder that for a moment. It means many things. We talk around here a lot about the already and the not yet. This power one day will quicken your body and raise it, and you, like Christ, will be raised from the dead. Some to judgment, but believers to eternal life in the kingdom with God. But in the meantime, the resurrection power of God is operating in you and me. That's good news, isn't it? It is good news. Look at the second section here, verses 12 through 14. Not only does the life in the Spirit involve being made alive and filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, it means being led by the Spirit. Verses 12 and 14 talk about this. I'll read it again. Brothers and sisters were debtors, were under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So what does it mean? What is Paul saying here? We're debtors. We're under obligation not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. Before faith in Christ, Paul says in Romans 6 that we're slaves to sin. Think about this for a moment. Before Jesus, you were a slave to sin. Paul says you were free from righteousness and a slave to sin. You were under the tyranny of sin. How did that go? How easy was it to sin? Pretty easy, wasn't it? Because you were dominated. You were controlled. You were filled with sin. Paul is saying, now I want you to think the inverse of that. In Christ, you are a slave to God in the Holy Spirit. You're a slave, a servant to righteousness. We don't think about that enough. You were actually created to be under the dominion of grace, to walk in holiness and purity. That is what you were designed and created to be. A slave of righteousness. A servant. Bob Dylan sings this. He says, you got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. So are you going to be a slave to sin or a slave to God in righteousness, filled with the Holy Spirit? Wimber said in that video recently, you're going to be a fool. Whose fool are you? He said, I'm going to be a fool for Christ. I'm going to live my life abandoned to the person of Jesus. Friends, sometimes we don't realize that bondage itself is an illusion. Bondage itself is an illusion. Some of you are saying, well, that's strange. That sounds too theological or philosophical. Think about some of the areas of bondage that you've had in your life and Jesus set you free from it. I remember one time, one of the first things that Jesus set me free from as a teenager, he said, Brock, you don't realize that you've had paper handcuffs on 
what? But I've been in bondage, filled with guilt, a slave to this. And he said, I want you to snap your wrist free from the paper handcuffs. And I, he delivered me, set me free, and I became a slave, not to that, but a slave to righteousness. He gave me power. So friends, what handcuffs are you wearing today? I don't care what it is, what addiction. You might say, well, I am addicted to something that requires treatment and time. Walk it out with the Lord. He may set you free immediately, but it also might be a process. But we're filled with the resurrection power of Jesus. I met with someone this week, and I asked if I could reference him and his story. He was previously a slave to sin. He actually ran drugs from Mexico regularly, large amounts of marijuana and cocaine, and he got busted in the last decade, and he spent three years in prison, but he got saved in prison, maybe resaved. Ended up his cellmate was a Christian, and he got released from prison and continued to battle some of the things that got him into prison. He had a coke habit. Couldn't stop snorting cocaine. Well, friends, he got baptized. He said, I never got baptized, so I decided in the face of this addiction to get baptized. And he said, when he went into those baptismal waters, the power of his addiction to coke broke instantly. And he said, well, the Lord threw this in too. I, I was a chain smoker. I was addicted to nicotine. And he said, both of them, boom, left it in the baptismal waters. Friends, the power of the resurrected Jesus is there for us. No matter what it is, no matter who you are, no matter what your history is. And maybe there are some people watching this live stream. It's an opportunity for you as well to reach out to Jesus to leave behind your old life. Give yourself to him. Back to verses 12 through 14. Paul is making this clear that we are created for fellowship with the person of the Holy Spirit. What does he say happens here? Verse 13. That second part, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul, what do you mean by that? I know that I'm created to have fellowship and friendship with a living person who indwells me, the settled resident, the Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to put to death the deeds of the body? Friends, it's called ascetic warfare. Connie just looked at me and went, hmm? Can you explain that? The Eastern Orthodox Church talks about ascetic warfare and it's prayer and fasting and all that's required to put to death the deeds of the body. And you do it in great joy. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about being watchful over your heart. You remember that? watchfulness and counter speaking when the enemy tempts and when those deeds of the body say come 
do this. The flesh is speaking. We're watchful over the heart. We speak and we say, it is written, I will walk in holiness. It is written, I am filled with the resurrection power of Jesus. And then we turn to Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. That is the kind of inner warfare that Paul is talking about. Paul did this. If you read his other letters, 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about, Jesus, when I am weak, your grace is sufficient for me. When I am powerless, you are powerful. So friends, if you haven't gotten the memo yet, you are in battle. You're in war right now. It is battle time. And a big part of this happens right here between our ears and our minds. Battle in the thought life, battle in the body. And we are filled with all that we need. The power of the Holy Spirit. So we give ourselves to the word of God. We meditate on scripture. We learn to hear his voice through the word of God. And again, this is absolutely essential that we sit before the Lord. Find a time to meditate on his word. Give yourself to relationships with other people. This is part of being in warfare. A third thing here, and we'll end with this. Verses 15 through 17. Life in the spirit involves being loved by the Father through the Holy Spirit. We sang about this this morning, didn't we? Verses 15 and seven through 17 talk about this difference between the spirit of slavery, the spirit of adoption. So many layers to what Paul is talking about here, but essentially he's setting this up. You Christians are not under a spirit of slavery. Paul talks about another thing. Enslaved to what, Paul? Connie explained last week, enslaved to the law, enslaved to your guilt that you don't measure up. Paul says in Galatians 4, before Christ, enslaved to demons. Hebrews 2 says that there's an enslavement to the fear of death. But Paul says none of that is the lot for Christians. You actually have received a spirit of love that doesn't lead to fear, but it leads to love. And so we stand with confidence before the Father. Say, I'm loved. I am loved. And perfect love drives out all fear. We're adopted in Christ. All that's promised in Scripture is ours. And I love this phrase. We mentioned it a few weeks ago, but what are the two words at the end of verse 15? Nothing like it. Let's say it together. Abba, Father. Say it. Abba, Father. It's Aramaic here for Papa, for Daddy. It's the way Jesus addressed the Father in Mark 14. He cried out, Abba, Father. And so he allows us. He paves the way for us to relate to the Father like that. We did some of this this morning. I don't know about you, but it was going to work on me. Was it anyone else? Just being in the Father's presence together. Abba, Father, he loves us. He doesn't give up on us. He is working good things out in our lives, oftentimes in spite of us. What in the world does it mean? These are some huge words here to be 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I was saying, Lord, some of these things are difficult to wrap my mind around. Can you just give me a word picture? So I was meditating on this, and this came to mind, that the Father has given you the title deed and keys to the whole farm. Beautiful six-bedroom house and sturdy barn, 2,000 acres of premium farmland, fertile crops, pasture for grazing, 500 cattle, goats, chickens. It's all yours. The Lord's given it to you. In Christ, it's yours. The full inheritance. And then why is it that I come and say, can I please have a stick of gum? Why? This mindset. And he's like, I've given you the title deed. I've given you all of this in the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all yours in Christ now and in the age to come. Friends, we are adopted children of God. He loves us and he's lavish with his love for us. This last part of the third section there, verse 17, this is something that frankly, uh, probably would get left out oftentimes in an American context, but I've been sitting with it. For children of God, we're heirs of God, and then look at how this section ends. We're joint heirs with Christ. What's it say? If we suffer with Christ so that we may also be glorified with him. Friends, this makes me uncomfortable. Who likes suffering? Nobody. What do the scriptures teach, though? It is a regular theme. We follow a crucified martyr, Jesus, and his followers. The majority of them were martyred in the first century. It's a heavy word. The path of glory, Paul is saying, runs through suffering. The cross before the crown. And the truth of scripture goes to work and realigns our American minds, our hearts. It's the medicine that we need. As I've mentioned before, scripture is the red pill that you need to break you out of the ridiculous modern matrix. Friends, if we follow Jesus, we will suffer. It's the truth. It's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's the truth of Scripture. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you, as though something strange were happening to you. Listen to what he says, the Apostle Peter, but rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings. This is precisely what Paul is talking about. Share in his suffering, share in his glory. Peter saying the same thing. So that you may be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. For if you are reviled or ridiculed for the name of Jesus, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Friends, I think this is a message 
for us in this hour. Yes, there is inheritance. We are beloved children. We're filled with the Spirit of God, but suffering may be on the horizon. Does that resonate with you as I say it? According to Scripture, should we be surprised? It's almost we think the opposite. Oh, my word, I can't believe that someone said something bad about me. In my fa- you should expect it. If you are a Christian and you've got a voice, you should expect to suffer. You should expect to have people malign you and say things about you. The book says it. I've been reading a little bit, and I wanted to share just a little story. I've been reading some books on contemporary sufferers and martyrs. And there's one called The 21. And it's a book by this German journalist named Martin Mosebach. And it's called The 21, A Journey into the Land of Coptic Martyrs. The word Coptic means Egyptian. And this German journalist recounts the story of an ISIS propaganda film. This happened five years ago that showed literally the martyrdom of 21 Christian men on a beach in Libya. They kidnapped these guys and they put them to death. Some of you are saying, wow, we got kids in here. Friends, we follow a martyr. You can't have the story of Scripture without talking about these things. Easter is the story of a martyr who was resurrected from the dead. We can't scrub these things away. Yes, the kids are in here, but kids, we are filled with the love, the power, the confidence of God, and we can face anything. We follow Jesus. He suffered greatly. He was loved by the Father. The Father took care of him and raised him from the dead. Do you hear me on that? So this is a modern example. These men, 20 Egyptians and one African from Ghana, were taken out to the beach and put to death. And as you read the story, the families celebrate this. So this journalist goes around and interviews all the families, and they're all saying, we are honored. We're heartbroken. We're, we experienced the loss, but our child is a saint. Our child got to die a death like Christ, and he's with Christ in glory now. So friends, I want us to just be thinking about, in this American context, this is sobering. It's inspiring at the same time. We follow a martyr savior. Jesus. And I hope that we never have to suffer to this extent, but we could. And I think now more than ever, we're realizing that any government anywhere can turn on people. And again, I am very careful about what I say politically. I'm not saying anything about any party right now. I'm talking about spiritual forces that operate behind the scenes, Ephesians 6. And I'm saying, friends, if we are an army of love, an army of the gospel, we've got to prepare to suffer. And we're going to be sending people out across the country, across the region, across the world. And you know what? Some of them will suffer for the gospel. Some of them may give their life 
for Christ? Will we be prepared? Like Peter says, don't be surprised. And I, I love you. I care about you. And so I want you and your families and I want us to listen to the truth of Scripture and be prepared. This is something I feel obligated to do. And again, is this a heavy yoke? Is it a burden? You read the book of Acts. Did they sit around and go, oh my gosh, we're suffering. Please stop. Roman leaders, please stop persecuting. They counted it joy. They celebrated. It's almost like the more they were pressed, the more they were persecuted, the more the fire spread. So what happened? These Coptic martyrs died five years ago, and you know what happened, friend? Revival broke out. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The worst that can happen to any of us is your life is taken away from you. And then what happens? You go meet the Lord. And then your life releases something powerful. Again, this is right at the heart of the gospel. So to conclude here and wrap up, I want us to have a Romans 8 mindset. I know that's heavy, but you see it there, don't you? It would be unjust to skip over that part. So as your pastor, I feel absolutely obligated to, for us to think about this and talk about it. And I want us to have a Romans 8 mindset. I want us to walk through. It's why Paul is going to say what he says later on in the chapter that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, things present, nor things to come. Paul went on. You know what happened to him after he wrote this letter 10 years? He was beheaded in Rome. Paul lived it out. So Paul knew he followed the crucified carpenter, and then he gave his own head in the Roman Empire. And he did it with great joy and surrender. So I want us to give ourselves to this. Give ourselves to the word of God. Give ourselves to Romans 8. Uh, Ann Blaisdell, where you at, Ann? You here today? She mentioned gathering some people together and memorizing and meditating on Romans 8. I encourage you to take this for the next month, Romans 8, and read through it. Read through it with friends. Read through it with family. Pray into it meditate on it, commit some of it to memory. On the website, you can look and see olcc.org under resources. We have a whole section that Connie's put on reading and praying the Bible. I want to encourage the worship team to sing these words in your time with the Lord. Ask for new songs from Romans 8. So Lord, we do, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are made alive in the Holy Spirit. We follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We're loved. We experience your love in the Holy Spirit, Father. So I pray today that you would fill us with some fresh passion. Lord, that all that we face, we would do it filled with the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit.